Uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, freaks and geeks of all ages, welcome to the second ever episode of the Weekly Wrestling Ruminations, brought to you by Sports Obsessive and the Ruminations Radio Network. I am your host, Neil Gray, and before we get started, and because this is as new to me as it is to all of you, I suppose I should explain just what the idea is with this show. Every seven days, we'll be taking a look at the hottest stories in the world of professional wrestling and giving you my thoughts and opinions on all the dirt that's fit to print. Now, if you listen to my other show, The Old Metal Bar Steward, you'll know that I can be quite an opinionated son of a bitch, and if you don't listen to it, then why not? It's a cracking show and well worth your time. But with that in mind, and as I don't want anyone else getting into the shit from my mouth, it's time for the disclaimer. The thoughts and opinions in the weekly wrestling ruminations are mine and mine alone, and in no way reflect the thoughts and opinions of Sports Obsessive and Ruminations Radio Network. So if you want to sue somebody, I'm your Huckleberry. I should also explain the change of name from the Weekly Wrestling Review as it was in Episode 1 to Weekly Wrestling's Ruminations. This is down to the fact that it turns out there is actually a Weekly Wrestling Review Already podcast. So to stop any confusion, we've changed the name. Also, we are now feuding with these people and will be demanding they face us in a steel cage match and Sports Obsessive will be sending along our very own Christopher Flackett, aka The Flack, to defend our honour. So what do I have in store for you today? Well, there's only one place to start really, isn't there? And that's with the latest round of cuts from the WWE. As you all know by now, once a year, Big Vinnie Mac and the boys take a set of cutters and prune away what they consider to be dead branches of their multi-million dollar tree. Or as they've done a couple of times over the past two years, use a ton of TNT and just blown the motherfucker sky high. This year wasn't as bad as previous ones, but there's still been enough big names that have been future endeavoured for it to raise a lot of eyebrows across the wrestling fandom. So what I'm going to do is look at each one individually, and give you my opinion on their departure from the company and where I think they'll end up next. First up, Samoa Joe. How the fuck the WWE managed to screw up Samoa Joe's run with the company is one of the biggest wrestling mysteries of all time, right next to how does racist grandpa Hulk Hogan keep getting rehired. When Joe first debuted on NXT, he was pushed as a monster, pretty much murdered everyone he stepped in the ring with, and then was called up to the main roster to be Triple H's enforcer, where he carried on murdering and killing everyone he crossed paths with. This was supposed to be the next AJ Styles moment. Joe should have been in and around the title picture for a fair few years, but it seems that after that botch that almost killed Tyson Kidd, he suddenly found himself with the shit end of the stick. Now I'd like to state for the record that I don't believe for one second that Tyson Kidd holds any ill will towards Joe, and, in fact, he said so himself. But we know what happens when this kind of thing occurs, and that's that those in charge start looking at a wrestler differently than they did the night before. But it shouldn't have mattered. Accidents happen in wrestling, and that's what this was, an accident. And instead of punishing Joe for actions beyond his control, they should have kept pushing him to the moon. During the time that Brock Lesnar pretty much held the title hostage, Joe should have been the one chasing him down. Instead of forcing Roman Reigns down our throats, the company should have listened to the fans and gone with someone they actually wanted to see in the title picture. But instead, after a short flirtation with greatness, he was demoted to playing catch-up, and then, 
after a series of injuries, found himself strapped firmly to the announce table. It blows my mind to think of how the WWE had one of the greatest talents of his generation on their books and fucked it up so badly that they just thought, fuck it, and let him go. So this raises the question, after his non-compete clause runs out, where does Samoa Joe go? The only logical place, as far as I'm concerned, is AEW. Now, I know a lot of people will point to his time in Impact, but considering that they now have a working relationship with AEW, then why would you let a star fade away in the second division when you could have him playing the Premier League and taking on the likes of Kenny Omega, Hangman Page, Sting, and whoever else you care to mention? AEW would strap a rocket to Joe and show the WWE just what you can do with someone as gifted as a Samoan submission machine. Next up, we have two for the price of one, as both Billy Kay and Peyton Royce have been let go. I'll be honest here, I was never a big fan of the Iconics. I always thought they were an average tag team at best, and when they put their tag team belts on them, it was more of a punishment for Bailey and Sasha Banks than it was a reflection on Billy Kay and Peyton Royce's in-ring ability. But having said all that, this has come as somewhat of a surprise. It was only September last year that people were reporting that the reason the two had been separated was that Vince McMahon was very, very high on a Peyton Royce singles run. And yet, for whatever reason, that just never materialised. We all know how Vince can be. One minute you're the flavour of the months, the next year's six-week-old takeout stuffed in the back of the fridge. But the fact that this mythical push never happened for Royce strikes me as strange. Normally, the WWE seems to work on the old give them enough rope and they'll hang themselves school of theory. And you either kick out the jams or literally hang yourself for the world to see, but Royce didn't even get a shoelaces worth of wrestling fabric with which to show what she could or couldn't do. It's weird. As for Kay, this one's even weirder. The whole pushing her CV onto anyone who she could was starting to gain some decent traction. And when they teamed her up with Carmella, it looked like we might get to see what she could do. Being out on her own, that is. In fact, I was looking forward to it as she won me over by portraying this character who tried her damnedest to do the right thing, but always somehow managed to balls it up down the line. Now, there is a rumour during the round that Kevin Dunn didn't get Billy Kay's character and was quite vocal about it backstage. But this is being reported by Fightful, so make of that what you will. And in the end, Big Vinny is going to Big Vinny and they're going to be heading to pastures new, and I wouldn't be surprised to see them reform as a tag team on impact. It'd be a good fit for all those involved, and I could see them in and around the title picture for at least a year or so. Mickey James is next, and I was more surprised when she re-signed with the WWE than I am by the fact that she's left the company again. Anyone who knows anything about her time with them knows what an utter pile of shite they treated her as during that god-awful feud with Lay Cool. Not to mention there's that rumour that won't go away that she was booted altogether due to an affair with John Cena and you have to ask yourself why the fuck would you go back? It's like dating someone who cheats on you all the time and then blows their top when when a member of the opposite sex even looks at you. Get the fuck out and stay the fuck out, that's my motto. But Mickey didn't seem to learn a lesson and returned to the company for a completely dull and absolutely abjectly uninspired five-year stint. Admittedly, some of the work she did with Alexa Bliss was decent enough, but overall it just proved that the WWE had no idea what to do with her once they got her back on side. There's a chance that Mickey might just be done with wrestling now and will focus on a music career again, but he's 
she is going to return to the squared circle, and I expect her to show up at NWA due to her connection with Nick Aldis. Poor Tucker has gone as well. I hated the storyline between them and Mandy Rose, but I always thought the heavy machinery was a damn fine tag team. So when they had Tucker turn on Otis, inexplicably blame inexplicably inexplicably blaming them up sorry folks new teeth i thought that at least tucker would get some kind of singles push but that proves what i know eh they couldn't have buried him any quicker if they'd used a fucking bulldozer and to be fair he's probably one of the few who's happy to get a fresh start but where will he go i don't think he's a big enough name to go to aew and as far as i know he's unproven as a singles competitor so I think Impact is out for now at least unless he turns up as somebody's lackey. So I can see him also heading over to NWA as well. He's still relatively young in wrestling terms and maybe a two-year stint honing his skills and one on one action could be just the thing he needs to get him looked at elsewhere. I'm not at all surprised that they've released Chelsea Green and this is in no way a reflection on her or her abilities. They botched her character from day one. Running all these vignettes about vignettes, is that a word? That'll do. Vignettes, I think, is what I was aiming for, folks. Running all these vignettes about how she was going to be the face of the Robert Stone brand and then having her lose her debut match. This was one of the dumbest decisions that the WWE has ever made. And considering they have quite the history in that department, that's really saying something. She never really recovered from that, so hopefully. She'll see this as an opportunity instead of a curse. Is she big enough name for AEW? I don't think so, but she's a decent enough in-ring worker, so I can see her also joining the ranks of Impact Wrestling as soon as she can. Callisto never really did it for me, so I don't think his moving on is a big loss or shock. There was just something about his character that didn't play well in the company, mainly down to the fact that they have no idea on how to promote luchadors. But it will go down the storm back in AAA, which is where I fully expect him to resurface. Wesley Blake's release is just symptomatic of a deeper problem within the WWE. The Forgotten Sons were taken off TV after the leader of their faction was found out to be a horrible right-wing bastard. But instead of the company punishing Jackson Riker for being said right-wing horrible bastard, they got rid of the other members of the Forgotten Sons and have pushed Riker into a duo with fucking Elias. The moral of the story is, it doesn't matter if you're a cunt as long as there are enough cunts behind the curtain to back you up. Suffice to say, I see Impact Wrestling in Blake's future. Bo Dallas being released did come as a surprise that I'd forgotten he'd actually worked for the WWE, but did you know he was still there? Exactly. I don't really know what I expect Bo to do, but you better Bo leave, sorry, couldn't resist, that wherever he does show up, it better be with one hell of a gimmick change, or I'll always be saddled as the guy who ran around the ring waving placards and trying to be Mr. Positive. And the last of the releases, at least at the time of me recording this, is Mojo Rowley and Good. I couldn't fucking stand that character. The whole bro thing is a shit trope that is now being used by Matt Riddle, who I also hate. So I guess they decided they didn't have room for two bros on one show. Let's face it, it was only a matter of time before Mojo got canned. He was terrible in the ring, had all the personality of a wet fart in a bathtub, and only survived as long as he did because Big Vinnie Mac has a hard-on for pro footballers 
and wanted to get Gronk to sign. The moment Gronk went back to Chuck Ball, then Rawley's cards were marked. And I reckon the only reason it happened now and not earlier is that the company didn't want it to seem as if they were firing him for that reason. I couldn't give a fuck where he ends up. He's crap, so I'm hoping he retires. In other news, if, like me, you were wondering why AEW was filming so much material, then there might actually be a sensible reason behind this, and not just because they're trying to drown us in wrestling. If you take into account Dynamite Dark, Elevation, and the new show they've got in the pipeline. But those three to start with, last week alone, there was around six hours of AEW to get through, and that's not including being the elite. Now. For those of us who have jobs and families to not neglect, that's far too much wrestling to hack through just to keep up with storylines. But it seems that they're not doing it to try and flood the market and force you to choose which wrestling promotion to watch, as some conspiracy nuts will actually have you believe. But it's to help them either set up their own streaming platform or at least get an already established one interested in taking them on. Think WWE Network, but much easier to navigate. This is according to Uncle Dave and his mob at the Wrestling Observer, and I hate to admit it, but it makes a lot of sense. The WWE hit a massive home run with their Peacock deal, and if AEW wants to get even a snifter of that filthy lucre somewhere down the line, they stand a much better chance of they going with a huge library of material as opposed to a pamphlet's worth. Elsewhere, racism reared its ugly head once again on social media this week, when Rhea Ripley's boyfriend, Dimitri Jackson, was subject to an offensive remark in regards to his race. Ripley called the person in question out on this, and for that she gets a huge fucking round of applause from me, but it's a sad state of affairs that even now in the 21st fucking century, we're still having to deal with these fucking idiots. Currently in the UK, there is a pandemic of these racist dumb fucks that is almost as bad as COVID. These idiots are targeting professional footballers on a daily basis. Seriously, you can't turn on Sky Sports News without at least one story of this kind cropping up within the first five minutes. And the likes of Facebook, Twitter and Instagram are basically doing fuck all to stop it. It's gotten so bad that clubs and players are taking themselves off of these platforms, even though it's temporarily, as a demonstration, trying to force a company's hand into doing something about it. But it really isn't working as all the companies care about is the bottom dollar. What people need to do is just boycott social media altogether until they sort it out. It wouldn't matter a lick if your average Joe like you or me just stopped using it, but if the big names like WWE, AEW, Impact, New Japan all got together and said, you know what, enough is enough, and took themselves off these sites until the companies that own them sorted them out, then you can bet your goddamn ass it would be a racist-free zone within about a week. Someone needs to take a stand, and if one of them does, the others will quickly follow suit. Vice has released a sneak peek at the season three episode about Nick Gage, and it's as fucking brutal as you'd expect it to be. If you haven't seen it yet, then it involves a certain John Moxley talking about his match with Gage, where Gage took a pizza cutter and nearly chopped the top of his fucking head off before shoving it in his mouth and pulling it across. It's insane, and the clip that is on offer is more than enough claret to satisfy even the most ardent Deathmatch fan. I've loved both seasons of Dark Side of the Ring so far, even though I flat out refuse to watch a Benoit one, and season three is already lining up to be the best one yet. 
And I think that the Nick Gage episode is going to steal the whole fucking show. Ryback is trying to drum up interest in a return to the ring, but it's currently backfiring on him so brilliantly. I'm reminded why I love wrestling fans, at least some of the time. Over on Twitter, he's put up a poll asking fans where they'd like to see him go next. And, for some reason only known to himself, the big guy has given the people the option to vote for him to retire. And guess what? At the time of recording this, Retire is winning with a healthy 45% of the vote. I fucking love this. Ryback is a douchebag and a shite wrestler who has been living off the fact that he was almost relevant in the WWE ever since he got his ass kicked to the curb in 2016 for being, well, Ryback, I suppose. So if you want to do the wrestling world a favour today, get on over to Twitter to let this asshat know that we don't want him back in the squared circle ever. A lot of people have been commenting on, or perhaps I should say complaining about, the number of factions within AEW at the moment, and it hasn't gone unnoticed by those in charge. The Young Bucks were talking to Scott Fishman on TV Insider and said, New Japan Pro Wrestling has been booking factions for more than 40 years and they're still around. I see the argument, but I think North American fans have never seen this many at one time. They're used to one, two, or three stables in the company. It's easier to book angles. It's easy to get more people involved with different groups. If you're not aligned in a stable, you're alone, and that's hard to book sometimes. That's why we have a lot of factions. It has clearly worked. So basically, people are too stupid to deal with more than a couple of factions at a time. Right? Nah, just fucking with you. I know that wasn't what they were getting at. What they were doing is what they know how to do. All of the big hitters within AEW have spent more than enough time working for New Japan to know that if you don't insult the intelligence of your audience, then you'll be pleasantly surprised in what they can actually cope with. I love the number of factions and stables that AEW were building, and according to the Bucks, it might be for an actual reason. In the same interview, when they were asked if there were any plans to bring in a trio's tag belt to the company, they replied, we actually just mentioned that to Tony Khan last week. It's something we've been talking about for a while. I think it's something we will do. It's just a matter of when. Now, to me, more gold means more wrestlers get a chance to show what they can do, which means more quality matches, and that's a win-win. Talking of AEW, Eva Lee has been commenting on her release from the company, and if what she's saying is true, it paints both AEW and Thunder Rosa in a bad light. Talking to Fightful, she said, I spoke up about mistreatment from a coach, even to other women too. There were witnesses and I was the one suspended and left in limbo and just now let go and nothing has been done at all. The entire time about Thunder Rosa slandering my name the entire time in AEW and doing everything to sabotage my position there, I kept quiet. Thunder Rosa also has a history of getting involved with officials in order to get ahead, which there was a lawsuit and everything in Lucha Underground. Now, as I said, we only have her side of the story, so until all this comes out in the wash, I have to be very careful about what I say. But if it is true, then not only can I see a court case in everyone's future, but a certain amount of trust lost between company and its wrestlers. Back to Uncle Dave and his cronies once again. According to he who is seen as the oracle of all things wrestling, Davy Boy Smith Jr. is in advanced talks with the WWE about signing with the company, which I think would be a terrible fucking idea. 
I like Davey Boy Smith Jr. I really do. And I think he is a class performer both in and out of the ring. So to think that he gets signed by a company that would put him on one of the developmental brands, give him a superstar push, then call him up to the main roster only to bury him when Vince loses interest or that dumb fuck Bruce Prichard gets a piss on that he didn't recommend him to Vince fills me with horror. He's far too good of a talent to have his career shortened by five years or so, just so he can end up in a revamped 3MB. Do yourself a favor, my friend. Don't sign the fucking contract. If you watch WrestleMania Night 1, then you'll have seen an advert for the new WWE 2K game. Having made such an ass of WWE 2K20, 2K put the game on hold for a year, promising that when it returned, we would see a vast improvement on the glitchy, buggy mess of previous entries. The advert in question features Rey Mysterio being Rey Mysterio and has a tagline that reads, It hits different. According to 2K's global communications manager, Al Satvola, Satvola, Satvola sounds better, sorry Al, got your name wrong, that goes beyond just the game itself. He said, it applies to the way we market the game, the way we communicate the game with the press, content creators and our community. We want to try out a lot of new ideas. We want to bring everyone along for the journey. We're going to be seeing things earlier than before. You're going to be seeing kind of a deeper, more behind-the-scenes look at things than you have in the past. This is all fine and dandy and buzzwordy as hell, but I don't care about any of that. What I do care about is how it plays, and nothing in this statement seems to address my concern. 2K have been bollocksing up this franchise for a fair few years now, and having seen the trailer for it and hearing nothing about these drastic changes to the game they promised when they shut it down two years ago, You'll forgive me if I start to smell the same shit in a different coat of paint. Surely, if they made these huge leaps and bounds that they swore blind that they were going to do, then they'd be pushing these to the forefront in a way to win back a very big, jaded fan base. Sick of their cut-and-paste style of releases, but instead, we get Big Al banging on about the press and the community and behind-the-scenes cods wallop. Call me a cynic if you want, but I think it's just, just going to be another case of nothing ever changes but the shoes. It seems as if Nita Strauss wouldn't be averse to stepping inside a WWE ring either. While she was on the Unscripted podcast, she said, if I was ever going to get in the ring, hopefully someday, and get to do a couple of spots, I'd like to have an interesting match. I don't know if I can ever be as accomplished as the real Lucha Libre guys, but I'd like to get in some high-flying spots. Get some interesting movesets in. That's what I want to do. And when she was asked if she'd like to team up with her favourite Becky Lynch, she replied, exactly, Becky, come on, I'm ready, let's go. I just got done working out at the gym, let's do it. Now, I love metal. In fact, you can hear my weekly thoughts on all things heavy in my other podcast on the Ruminations Radio Network called The Old Metal Bar Steward. And I also love Nita Strauss. So the idea of seeing her jump into the squared circle alongside the man, Becky Lynch, it's something I didn't realise I wanted so badly until I heard it was a possibility. It's a slim possibility, to be sure, because I have no doubt that when the pandemic fucks off, Alice Cooper will be back out on the road. But if anyone can make it happen, it's the WWE. And as it was undoubtedly Triple H's idea to have her perform the national anthem at TakeOver Stand and Deliver, then if anyone can push all the pieces into position, it's the fucking game. Make it happen, Trips. 
the world of metal and wrestling are counting on you. Back to the cesspit of Twitter now, and after Charlotte Flair made a triumphant return on last week's Raw, a quote-unquote fan decided to tell her she looked like a stick figure drawn by a three-year-old, to which the Queen replied, Lord help me if I ever listen to a man's opinion on how I should look. Can someone, anyone, tell me what the fuck is wrong with people? What in your right mind would ever make you think it's all right to talk to another human being this way? Would you say it to their face? No, you wouldn't. And you want to know why? Because you're a fucking pussy. And like all fucking pussies, you hide behind your keyboard, safe in the knowledge that the anonymity of the internet will protect you, while you go out seeking your five seconds in the spotlight. People like this are why I really hate a section of wrestling fandom with a passion. If you've got something to say to someone, be a man, say it to their face. At least that way, when they batter you like a little bitch, we can all have a good laugh at your expense. See, brave keyboard warrior, you could be funny after all. Taz took the WWE to task earlier this week when they sent out a tweet celebrating the 24th anniversary of ECW's barely legal pay-per-view. In it, they tagged Paul Heyman, RVD, Lance Storm, Bully Ray and Tommy Dreamer, but left out the Tasmaniac and he was none too pleased. He replied accusing the WWE of rewriting history by writing him out of it, and when people started accusing him of overreacting, he wrote, See, to many fans, it's, oh, you weren't tagged in a tweet. It's bigger than that. It's an acknowledgement of someone's contributions to a historic show 24 years ago, and I humbly and proudly say I was a pretty big part of that show. Well, humbly, maybe not, but personally, I'm with Taz on this. He was a very big part of the show and ECW as a whole, and I can't imagine it could be the greatest feeling in the world to have one of your major life achievements just ignored. I say I can't imagine because I don't think I actually have any major life achievements yet, so I guess I wouldn't know. Nonetheless, it's not the first time that WWE has forgotten to include a person in a major part of wrestling history, and I'm pretty sure it won't be the last. Talking to TMZ Sports, because somebody has to, I suppose, The Miz was full of praise for his WrestleMania opponent, Bad Bunny, saying, not only did he earn my respect, I think he earned the WWE Universe's respect because we're not allowed to be called fans. I think he earned respect backstage. I think he earned everybody's respect in what some are calling the best celebrity match at WrestleMania in history. You never know when he'll come back. I think he had a great experience. I think everyone had a great experience with him. The guy has hundreds of music concerts that he has coming up. I imagine he wants some time off too. But look, what he did out there at WrestleMania opens the door anytime he wants to come back to the WWE. Maybe I'll get around to. Now, I've got to say, I completely agree with the Miz here. I'd initially expected Bad Bunny to show up, let Damian Priest do all the heavy lifting, get in a few shots at the end take his big paycheck and free publicity and sold off out the door. You know, like every single celebrity that's ever entered a WWE ring. But he blew the bloody doors off the place when he hit that Canadian destroyer. I was out of my seat, jumping around my living room like a man possessed. I've said it before and I'll say it again. If he ever decides to jack in the music business, he'd kill it in the world of wrestling. And finally... Moral Ronello is returning to the commentator seat for the match between Kenny Omega and Rich Swan at Impact's Rebellion pay-per-view, and I, for one, couldn't be happier. During his stint with the WWE, he was a breath of fresh air 
to anyone who'd grown tired of Michael Cole's nonsensical ramblings, but thanks to that dickhead, JBL, it wouldn't last. It also couldn't have helped his mental health having Vince yelling in his ear each week. But having him back in the hot sheet, even if it's only for one show, will give the wrestling fandom a chance to show him just how much he's been missed and how much we love him. Anyway, I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Weekly Wrestling Ruminations, and when you're done listening to my dulcet tones, head on over to Sports Obsessive and get your eyeballs some seriously good reading. Also, check out its sister sites 25 years later on Horror Obsessive, as well as the Ruminations Radio Network for all the podcasts your ears will ever need. I've been your host, Neil Gray, and I'll be back with my thoughts on all the wrestling news that's fit to print in the next seven days. It's time for me to kick out, brothers and sisters. I'll speak to you soon. What's up, gang? This is Hoptimus. You've been listening to one of the great new podcasts from Ruminations Radio Network. If you want some more tasty sound vibes, come check out my new podcast, The Retro Futurist Culture, where we talk about alternate timelines, cyberpunk, anime, and other crazy worlds. If that does not strike your fancy, we have plenty of other great shows at RuminationsRadioNetwork.com.